Well, good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? So, so good to see you. Don't you love the fall weather? Changing of the leaves, the dreary rain, and I like it. No more sweating every time you go outside. I like this weather. Don't have to turn on your heater. Just freeze at night. Just wear, time to put on your sweats and pajamas. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. I hope that God is already blessing your life. I hope that God is, is touching you today. I'm kicking off a brand new series called Devil, Knowing Your Enemy. And so make sure, if I were you, I'd make every one of these messages because I think that this is going to be a game changer for a lot of people. Uh, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be here today. I uh, thank you, Lord, because you are, you're already speaking to people, and I believe that you're going to challenge people through this message, through this series. I pray that we open up our hearts and minds to receive what you would say to us today. Grow us. Grow us, Lord, spiritually, as we learn a little bit more about our arch enemy. And this we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you are not the enemy. We're going to learn how our enemy works. Let me ask you something. What is your, what do you think of when we think of our enemy? A recent Gallup poll, people who do surveys, a recent Gallup poll, they found out that 89% of Americans believe in a God. And I was doing a little bit more research and found out that most people don't believe in a real devil. In fact, 60% of people don't believe in a real devil. They believe that he is more of a symbol of evil. I was reading another survey that said that most Christians, or many Christians, don't believe that the devil really exists. What about you? What, do you believe in a very real devil? Because our culture would lead us to believe by some of the images that they have portrayed throughout time. For example, what are your images of the devil? Don't look at your spouse. What are the images that you get? What are the images that come to mind when I say devil? Look at some of these images that we got here. First of all, is that what you see? Is that what you think of when you think of a devil? This, this dude with a tail, with a hook on the end of his tail, and a, a pitchfork, and horns, and the color red. What else? He's got great abs. For some reason, the devil is very athletic looking. Okay. What about something like that? Is that what you think of? What about this? This is what we kind of grew up with, is, you know, kind of a, a cartoon character with a hooked nose and horns. Uh, what about this? Tasmanian devil. I think those are in Australia. He probably doesn't, he probably doesn't care or doesn't appreciate us calling him a devil, but we call, named him a Tasmanian devil. I don't know what your images of the devil are. Actually, there is a story behind the devil being red with a tail and horns, and I'm going to show you that in Scripture. Some other images of the devil. Have you ever seen the devil portrayed with goat-like uh, characteristics? Have you ever seen that? What about that, that pentagram, that satanic pentagram with a goat head in the middle of that? I believe that that comes from Leviticus, the 17th chapter, where the word devil is translated as goat. And we find out that many times in Scripture, goats are used to illustrate disobedience to God. If you've ever owned a goat, you know what I'm talking about. You know, but in Scripture, they, they're illustrated as disobedience or those that are turned away towards the, uh, the final judgment. The devil or Satan, his story originates in Scripture. So what we're going to do is we're not going to look at culture uh, um, images. What we're going to do is we're going to go to Scripture, 
And we're going to find out what our Bible says about the devil. We're going to study our arch enemy over the next few weeks, and we're going to take a look at some of the names. He has, he has different names in the Bible, and as we learn about his names, we find out that these names give us insight into his strategy, his schemes, the secret behind his M.O. And if you know your enemy, if you really know your enemy, you can learn to work against him. We're going to talk about his various names, we're going to talk about how our Lord dealt with him, and we're going to talk about how we can overcome him. Are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say, I don't think you're ready for this. You better get ready. In the book of Revelation 12 and 3, we see some of the imagery. Now remember, the book of Revelation uses images and symbols of certain characters, and I don't have time to go into that, but I'll, I'll explain a little bit here in just a second. Revelation 12 and 3 says, he says, a sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great, what color is that dragon? What color? A great red dragon had seven heads and ten horns. There's where we get his horns, I believe. And his heads had seven diadems or crowns. These all represent different things that I don't have time to go into. But his tail, he has a tail here, swept down a, th- swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Now remember the book of Revelation was given as a vision to the apostle John when he was on the island of Patmos. He was in exile, and God spoke to him. If you know this, we've gone through this in, in our series, but God spoke to him and, and uh, drew him up into the heavens by spirit and gave him this image of the ancient world and also what was going to happen in the future. And there are different symbols. The, the, the devil is not... A dragon, but he's represented as that in this story to make this, I believe, that the writer of, of, of the book of Revelation, to make it interesting to us, it kind of puts, heaven puts on this play, this display of, of different characters that represent who they are. So the woman here that's about to give birth to a child represents God's chosen people or the Israelites. The child that will rule, that she's about to give birth to, that is Jesus. And then the red dragon is no other than who? That's the devil. That's Satan, okay? Now, our story takes a break. What happens here is, is he tells the story of, of what God did to bring about the birth of Christ on the earth, and we see this in symbolism here. But then, it's kind of like the story takes a break, and it goes back to tell why this happens. He goes all the way back to, begin, to the beginning before time began, actually. says this, Revelation 12 and 7. It says, now war arose in heaven. This is before man ever was created. Now war arose in heaven, Michael, his angels, fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, and the deceiver, there's another name we're going to use in future messages, the deceiver of the whole earth, He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ have come. Have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our Lord. And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, 
O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Now, then the scripture goes on to talks a little, talks a little bit about the dragon that pursues the child. So it gets away from this break, and he talks a little bit about the child. And then he goes back to the 17th verse and says this, the dragon became furious because he couldn't overcome the child and he couldn't devour the child. Okay, The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, and he stood on the sand of the sea. In other words, because he could not overcome Christ and he couldn't overcome the Father in heaven, he is now, it's kind of like, it's kind of like now he has been defeated by our Lord Jesus. He couldn't tempt him. He couldn't have Jesus bow down to him when he tempted him. And he couldn't overcome God. He couldn't overcome Christ. couldn't overcome Christ. So, so now we see that this, it's kind of like the end of a movie where there is a sequel. That he turns his back on God. He turns his back on the nation. And he walks out and he looks over the, the ocean as if to look into another world. As if to look into the next part of creation and time. Kind of like to say, I couldn't overcome the Father, I couldn't overcome the Son, but what I will do is I will attack those for the rest of time, until the end of time, I'm going to attack those who follow Christ. So we see this, that, that, that now we're, there is this war that goes on. My friend, you need to understand that you are right in the middle of a war. We are at war, an ancient war that started before the beginning of time, and it started in heaven. It didn't start because of you. It didn't start because of me. We were born into this thing. When you became created, you became a part of the war you didn't know. But when you gave your life to Christ, you were born again and you became a part of this war. The devil has made it about you by attacking you because you are God's child. It's kind of like this. If you talk bad about me, I won't say much. But if you get on my kids, you'll get on my bad side. That's kind of like what it is. The devil has made it about you by attacking you. And I want to tell you something. It seems foolish for us to talk about and for us to believe in this evil deity, this this evil being such as the devil. I mean, to talk about the devil, if you were to walk around and talk about the devil at work, people would think you're crazy. I mean, that's, I believe that that's kind of his MO, that's kind of his strategy to convince the world that he really doesn't exist, and if he does exist, you know, to, to put him in the same category as the Tooth Fairy or, or Santa Claus or, or anything like that. It's kind of like that, you know, if, if he can keep us, if he can keep himself in that mythological type of characteristic, then he can get the world to not believe in him, if he can get the world not to believe and not discuss him in churches or whatever and just say don't ever you know say satan don't ever do you know don't ever talk about the devil say you know our enemy and things like that because it seems mythological i think that's part of his strategy to convince the world that he doesn't exist however we have and we must recognize that we have a very real enemy a spiritual enemy in the spiritual war and jesus gives his mission in john 10 and 10 he says The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. If we're going to experience this new life in Christ, then my friend, we've got to be prepared for the strategies of the enemy. And that's why we're talking about him. If we're going to walk in this new life, 
then we can't fall to the temptation or the lies or the accusations of the enemy. Some people never get to where they need to be with God because they don't understand and they're, that they're fighting in a spiritual war that's attacking their lives. So we've got to be prepared for his strategies. We've got to be ready for his attack and we've got to be wise to his trickery. The Bible talks about his names that gives insight into how he works. And the one we're talking about today is the word accuser or slanderer. The devil in the Greek, the word is called diablos, which means slander or accuser. To slander is to make a false statement about one's character. To accuse, that is to claim that someone has done something wrong. That is exactly what the enemy wants to do to you. He wants to accuse you and he wants to slander you until you feel certain things, until, until, you, until you are destroyed or the work of God is destroyed in your life. His name and his strategy, accuser. Think about that for a second, slander. Through accusations and through slander, he wants to make you look guilty so you can feel guilt. And if you can feel guilt, you will feel insecurity and you will be timid when it comes to your faith and then you will shy away from the calling of God. Did, did you get that? I want, you to, I want you to hang on to that. The enemy wants you to feel guilty. He wants, he wants you to look guilty so you'll feel guilt. And if you'll feel guilt, you will be insecure about your faith. And if you're insecure about your faith, then you won't walk in the calling of God. You won't be bold in your calling of God. You'll live a defeated life, and he'll destroy the work of God in your life. Can you see that there's a strategy to accusations and to slander? So here's how he does it. He wants to bring up your past. He wants to accuse you. He wants to slander you, first of all, to God. But he can't do it. He used to be able to do it. If you go back in time in the Bible, in Job, the first chapter, we see that, that the devil actually accuses Job of unfaithfulness to God before he was cast out of heaven. Re Revelation 2 and 10 talks about how he is the accuser of the believers. But my favorite passage of how God deals with our accusations is in Zechariah, the third chapter, and the first verse. Now, I want to read this, and then I want to give an illustration of this. Zechariah 3 and 1, there is this image, this vision is given to this prophet in this image of how the enemy accuses us and slanders our name before God and how God rejects them. Listen to this carefully. It says, the angel showed me Yeshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And listen to this. Look at the name. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, make, uh, right hand, making accusations against Yeshua. Can you see this picture? That the angel of the Lord, there's the Lord there, the angel of the Lord, this, this prophet or this priest, Yeshua, and then Satan, the accuser, is standing right next to him, and he's accusing him. He says, and the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Yeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. The, the clothes represent his sins and the things that he's done wrong. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Yeshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins. And now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said, you should put a clean turban on his head or put a hat on his head. Don't forget his hat. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. I, because I didn't think that I was, would do a very good job of, of giving this illustration, I'm going to give a 
better illustration. Is that okay? So to do that, I want to bring out a few people that represents the people in this story. So the first person I want to bring out represents the angel. And I was trying to figure out, and somebody volunteered based on his own uh, attributes that he thinks about himself. He says, I'll be the angel. So come on out, Baylor. Let's give him a hand. Come on. <laughs> All right. All right. And then I need a priest. I need a sinner that with, with, with the, uh, the burnt clothing. So I'm going to bring out Frank. Frank, if you'll come on out here. Come on. Let's come on. Let's share it. Let's go. Okay. So Frank's, I'll explain this in a second. Okay. And then I need Satan, the devil. Looks like he's about to drop the hottest mixtape of 2018. Look at him. The what? <laughs> the, I, I missed something. Okay. Okay. So I needed a Satan, and I, I found the just the right person to represent the devil. So uh, you know we're not we're not going to cheer for Satan. We're going to boo Satan when, when when he comes out. So come on, everybody. Let's welcome uh, Nicole. Come on out, Nicole. <laughs> boo. Where's your little uh? Oh, here it is. You're forgetting something. You can't forget this. <laughs> it was either that or a broom. Okay. Right. You ride the church. Anyway. Uh, okay. So here's what this looks like. If I, if I can just portray it according to Scripture the best I can. So you have the Lord. I represent the Lord. He was, and what happened was, why is that funny? I, it needs a fourth person, and there's, I'm the only person up there. Okay. Okay. What, what was going on was the angel, come on out. If you guys would come closer, you guys would come closer. You guys, they asked me to get you closer to the center. So come on back here. Come little. on, guys. Yeah. Okay, you guys stay there. Stay there. I just need you, Baylor. Oh. Right. Okay. So what, what's going on is because of Yeshua's sin, which represented the Israelites, which represents all of us, okay? Because of his sin, he shows up, and he's in burnt clothing, and he barely escaped and it's like the Lord said, what in the world happened? And he doesn't say anything. It's, it, instead, the devil, everybody say boo. Boo. <laughs> 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 yes. <Yeah, it's, laughs> Marcus is really enjoying it. <laughs> the shoe fits, right? Okay, so, <laughs> so the devil is accusing. It's kind of like this. What did you do? And the devil's like, he burned up his whole house because of his mistakes, because of his sin. He burned up everything. He did this. He condemns the prophet Yeshua to God. Okay? He's trying, he's, because he wants a holy God to, to condemn and to judge him and sentence him to an eternal damnation like the devil has. So what he's trying to do is, what the devil is doing is he's accusing him. And God speaks up and says, I reject all of your accusations. I saved him. I rescued him like a, like a burning stick out of a fire. And then he says, here's what else I'm going to do. And he speaks to the angel. He says, I want you to put some new clothes on him. We're going to take away. The clothes represent the sin. The clothes represent, you know, the, the result of what he's been through. So, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I, I, I saved you. That's what, instead of condemning you, what God does is first of all, he saves you. That's the first thing. But the second thing that he does 
is he puts, a brand, he puts brand new clothes. That represents restoration. Not only does he save, but he restores. Something's missing. What's missing? He needs a, what's, what's missing? He needs a hat. So here's, so I, he needs a brand new hat. So here's what I said. We're going to give him the best hat that he can have. Come on, bring that hat out here. Put that new hat on him. The best hat he can own. Put it on, buddy. That's the best hat you can get, right? So that's what the enemy does. The enemy wants to condemn. He wants God to judge you. He wants to bring up your past, but God rejects the accusations, and he says, I'm going to save him, and I'm going to restore him, and I'm going to make him brand new. Let's give him a hand. Thanks, guys. So the enemy, our devil, wants to bring up and accuse you to a holy God, but that's rejected. And when that doesn't work, the next thing that he wants to do is he wants to accuse you, and he wants to slander, and he wants to bring up your sins to you. And this is what usually gets us, because it doesn't work with God. But sometimes if he can bring our sin up to us, if he can bring up the things that we've done, the things that we regret, our mistakes, our sins, our past, if he can do that, if he can keep bringing that up, he can destroy the work of God in our lives because we won't be able to get past it. In John 8 and 3, you might know this story. It's the woman that was brought before the Lord who was caught in the very act of adultery. You might know this story. It says, as Jesus was speaking, the teachers of the religious law, look who the people are. The teachers of the religious law, these were people that would be considered in the church today. He says, and the Pharisees, the, the church leaders, they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. There was no doubt she was caught in the act, but listen to where they brought her. It says that they put her in front of a crowd. Not only were they going to try to, to, to destroy her, to condemn her, but they wanted to embarrass her. They wanted to shame her. Listen to me. The devil uses others, seemingly good people, to bring up our past. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss that for a couple of reasons because I want you to know that that is how the enemy works. He sometimes will work through other people. The second thing I want you to realize is I don't want to be one of those people that brings up other people's past that makes people feel condemned. Amen, Travis. I don't want to be one of those people either. You know what I'm saying? Do you want to be a person that brings up people's past? No. We don't want to do that. Let's go, let's read a little bit more. The fourth verse says this. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Says that they were trying to trap him into saying something so they could get him in trouble. The seventh verse says they keep demanding an answer. So he stood up because he, wrote, he kneeled down and he wrote in the sand. He was ignoring him. He, he was ignoring all the leaders. By, by this time, there were probably hundreds of people standing around seeing what was going to happen because this was a death sentence for this woman. He completely ignored them as to say, I don't care what you have to say. And he, he knelt down and he wrote in the sand and they kept after him, kept after him. Then he said, he turns around and he, stand, he stands up and he turns around and he says, all right, okay, I get it. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he just turned around and kneeled back down and began to, you know, write in the sand. And the ninth verse says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. 
So all these hundreds of people that were around, one by one, began to walk off until it was just Jesus and the woman. And then Jesus looked at her and said, where are your accusers? Did even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Notice that this woman didn't speak up. Notice when they drug this woman out in front of everybody that she didn't plead her case. She didn't try to say anything. She didn't say anything. Why is that? Because everything that they said about her was true. Everything that she had coming was true. They had a point. But listen to me. Just because people have a point does not mean that they have a right. Just because somebody has a right to bring up the things that we've done. Just because you have a right or I have a right to bring up something that somebody has done. Just because it might be true about this person. Just because I have a point does not mean that I have the right. Get this. Did she do it? Yes. Did she deserve what was coming to her? By law, yes. This woman thought that she was about to lose her life. According to Old Testament law, did Jesus condemn her? No. But if the devil can get enough people around you or anybody else and bring up the past sin that we've done, if he can get enough people to accuse you of your past wrong, if he can get enough people talking about what we've done or what I've done, if he can do that, then it'll make you feel guilt. That's the first step in accusation. That's the first reason why he would slander or accuse, because he wants to bring up something that you've done, but it's a true thing. Did it happen? It happened. So what he's going to do, God forgave you. God doesn't condemn you. But if he can keep bringing that up, if he can get other people that know about what you've done, you're trying to live it down. I mean, it happened 10 years ago, but, you know, you, you, you went to school with these people, or you did something, or you went through this, and you went through, about, you went through about three years of doubting God, and you did some things you wish you hadn't done. So your church family, I mean, your connect group, we're all forget we're loving you, but there's people that keep bringing this up. If he can keep bringing that up, then you'll feel guilt. And then... If he can get you to feel guilt, then you feel this sense of shame. I'm, I feel ashamed. I have these regrets, and I, I feel ashamed for the things that I've done. And if you can feel ashamed, then the next thing that happens is you feel this false sense of unworthiness. You feel, you feel unworthy. I mean, you don't want to even go into the church because of how you feel. God would, would never forgive me. And I believe that that is the underlying statement that people will give us sometimes, man, if I went in church, the roof would cave in. What are they saying? There's a lot of things that I've done that I'm ashamed of, and I don't know if God would forgive me. And then much, much, much more than forgiveness is, could God ever use me? Could God ever change my life? And would he ever put me as part of his family? I don't feel worthy enough to go to church. And I, you know what? I'm not like those Christian people. Where I, 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 you know, I just don't feel right being around those people because of the things that I've done. And then you believe that God could never use you. And if the devil can get you through accusations, through slander, and through, to get you to feel guilt and shame and a false sense of, 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 a false sense of, of unworthiness, if he can get you to go through that process, then, then you'll believe all of those things and then you will never cross that line. You will never give your life to Christ or you will never walk in the gifting of God. So, so he is, the devil hasn't destroyed you, but he has destroyed the work of God in you. And when somebody gets to that level, do you know what they do? 
They sin even more. They give up on themselves. They give up on what what God has done in their lives. They give up on the hope of their future and say, well, it doesn't even matter because God's not going to use me anyway. That's the plan of the accuser. That's the plan of the slander. But listen to this. And I love this scripture. Romans 8 and 1 says, so now, why is he saying now? He's talking about after that you have given your life to Christ. At one point, yes, but now there is no condemnation. Before you gave your life to Christ, there was condemnation because the death penalty, because sin carries a death penalty. I'm not talking about a physical death, but a spiritual death, a spiritual separation from God. Revelation calls it the second death. He says, there is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ, Jesus. And because you belong to him, because you gave your life to him, because you believe on him, because you've accepted him as Lord and Savior, the power of life, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. There is no condemnation to those that are, Christ, that are in Christ Jesus. You don't ever have to feel guilty for the things that you have done. And if you feel guilty, if you feel guilt, if you feel a sense of shame, if you feel a sense of condemnation, if you feel judged, that is not your heavenly father. That is not coming from, from, from your Lord. That's coming from the devil. And he might use other people. He might use other people to bring up things, but that is not coming from the Lord. The one person in the universe who has the right and the authority The Bible says that all authority has been given to our Lord Jesus because of his death, burial, and resurrection. God has placed everything under his feet. All authority to judge the world in which he will do one of these days. The one person in the universe who has the right and the authority to condemn you does not. But that doesn't mean that the devil won't try to destroy us by trying to bring up the things that we've done. And since you can't bring it up to the To our Lord, he'll try to bring it up to you. And if he can't work in your mind, he'll work through people who've known what you have done. That is his nature. That is his name. Let me ask you this as I close. Why all the trouble? Why does the devil go through so much? Why does he hate us so much? I mean, can't we all just get along? <laughs> can he just like do his thing? Run around and, you know, with his demons and his whatever. Can he just do his thing? Why does he attack us? Why does he go so much through so much trouble to attack our lives? Why is he in our daily business trying to destroy the work of God? Because you have the one thing that he never received from God. You know what that is? Favor. He didn't get favor when he sinned in heaven. God required more of him because he stood in the presence of God. God created him, gave him glory and honor. We'll read about this later. He didn't get favor. He didn't get forgiveness. He got the boot. 
But when the devil looks at you, he sees something in you that he never got. And that is the it's grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. There's a song called Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What's so amazing about grace? Because it's the unmerited favor of God. In other words, you didn't do one thing to deserve the, 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 the grace, the favor, and the forgiveness of God. You just were born, born again. It's kind of like this. Your kids, if you're a parent, your kids, they, didn't have, they don't do one thing to deserve your love, do they? They just exist. They don't, they don't have to work. They don't have to do anything. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter. If they did a, a lot of terrible things, it wouldn't change how you feel about them because no matter what they do, they, they can't do anything to deserve your love. You just love them because they are yours. And that's exactly what goes on with you. It's kind of like this. You, you ever met somebody before that got in trouble because they, they did something that they shouldn't have done and, and then they should have gotten condemned or judged or they should have gotten some kind of trouble, but they didn't. They just got a pass. And they, the, the reason they got a pass was because of who their father was. And then everybody's like standing around going, man, that is not fair. That's exactly what's going on with you and your God. You got a past. And the devil, when he looks at you, he hates you because of the grace of God in your life. You got something that he never had. And one of these days you will be eternally in the presence of God because you decided to give your life to Christ. Nothing you could have done could have ever earned that. You just decided to say yes. And now you walk in the grace and the favor of God. What you didn't know is when you did that, you earned an enemy called the devil. He can't destroy you. He's a defeated foe. He can't destroy you. He can't accuse you to God, but he can accuse you to yourself. And that's what he tries to do. He wants to destroy the work of God in your life. He can't defeat your life. Listen, even, even in death, you are victorious. That's what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, what can this world do to me? What can this life do to me? What can the devil do to me? Kill me? To die is to wake up with God. We are even, we are victorious even in death. That's how wonderful it is to be a child of God. And every day when you wake up, you have an enemy because he hates this about you. That's why. But he's defeated and you walk in the victory of God because who your father is. And you can walk in this grace if you don't, Walk in the grace of God, the favor of God. It's a matter of receiving the Lord as Lord and Savior of your life. If you haven't done that, I encourage you to do that today. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. And thank you for speaking to us today. And thank you, Lord, that we experience your grace. No matter what the enemy tries to throw at us, no matter how the enemy tries to defeat us, we are victorious. We are made to be more than conquerors. Because of our Heavenly Father. Because of a decision that we've made. Speak to people today. Wherever we are, whatever decision that we need to make, whatever step that we need to take in our lives, whatever the next step is, 
Help us to take that step in Jesus' name. As your heads are bowed, and maybe you're doing inventory on your life right now, maybe God is speaking to you today. It's not a matter, matter of whether or not you live for God. I'm talking to you if you're a believer. It's not a matter of whether or not you believe in God. It's a matter of being defeated. That every time you turn around, the enemy in some way is bringing up your past. And you feel condemned and you feel defeated. And if you're not careful, that will affect your walk with God. You can't go to church, can't lift your hands and worship the Lord because of the, the guilt, the insecurity that you feel. God's not doing that. You have an enemy that's working on you, that's trying to defeat the calling of God in your life. There is no condemnation to those that are Christ Jesus. You're not going to get that from the Lord. You're not going to get that here at church. Why are you feeling that? Because that is the enemy that's working on you. He has a plan. You have to make a decision to believe on the Lord's word. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Let him accuse, let others accuse, let others slander. You're walking forward with God today. If that's you, I want to pray with you right now. Heavenly Father, I, talk, I pray for every person here that feels condemned, that feels accused, that feels defeated because of what the enemy is trying to do, Lord. That is not coming from the enemy, that's not coming from the Lord, that's coming from the enemy. So I pray, Lord, that you will speak to every person. Lord, for those that feel condemned, for those that feel accused, I pray, God, that we will turn to your words, and Lord, by your spirit, you will strengthen us to walk forward in the newness of God, in the new life that you've given to us. The thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy, but you come to bring us life, but not just a regular life, abundant life, but we've got to believe it and walk in that. So we choose to walk in the newness of our Lord and the name of Jesus. If you receive that same man, if you'll continue to bow your heads, I want to pray one more prayer. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, if you're here and maybe you have walked away from God at some point in your life, even though you are a believer and you feel like God is leading you home, maybe to rededicate your life to Christ, that's okay. Or if you're here and you can say, Travis, I just don't know. But you know this, you want to leave here knowing that you've made a decision to follow Christ. I'd like to pray the same kind of prayer. If that's you and you want to be a part of this prayer, you want me to pray and you want to pray with us, we can do that. I won't embarrass you, I won't ask you to stand, I won't ask you to walk down here, anything like that. We'll pray the same kind of prayer we just prayed. You say it out loud with us as we pray it together. You can give your life to Christ. And you can leave here living in the grace and the favor of God as his child. I'd like to know if I'm praying for people, if people are serious about this. So if, if that's you with nobody looking around, if you can say, Travis, if you'll pray that prayer, I'm going to say it with you. Today I'm going to make a decision to follow Christ. If that's you, just slip your hand up and slip it down quickly so I know I'm praying for somebody. See your hand there. I see your hands over here. Anybody to my left over here? See your hand. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. All right, we're going to pray. And as we pray, if that's you, I want you to say this out loud as we pray. I want you to mean it with all your heart. Today's the day you come home to Christ. Even if I didn't see your hand, even if you didn't raise your hand, 
and this is a decision that you want to make. Say this prayer with us. Heavenly Father, as I am before you today, I give you my life. Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive me for all of my sins and wash me clean and whole. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. I declare that you are Lord and Savior of my life. And from this moment on, I commit my life to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.